0: You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Um, That's just... uh... A little bit of a video. Uh, at our church, we're going through an Advent series uh, where we're exploring uh, what the church has done for a while in terms of preparing for Christmas. And uh, what I learned this time around this year, I, I love that, you know, we can repeat certain things and every time you do so, God shows you something new, which is beautiful. You know, I broke down the word Advent. Uh, it comes from a Latin combination of two words. Uh, the first, ad, translates through two, two or two words. And the guav at the end refers to something that you're looking forward to, something that is to come. And what I learned, oops, sorry about that. What I learned about, what I learned about uh, this word this time around is that adventing we often think about it as just waiting. And when we think about waiting, we also tend to think about just like sitting around. I, uh, I asked my church what they think about when they think about waiting. And many of them said it was boring. Uh, many of them said they sort of fill time by doing things that they shouldn't be doing. There's not a lot of positivity that comes with waiting by itself. But what we see in Biblical waiting, or in the word Advent, is this posture. So we're going towards something. We're looking towards something. Your body is actively looking towards something. So it is not a passive thing. It is a very active wait. And more often than not, when we talk about Advent, uh, nowadays we think of the time leading up to Christmas, and there, there are aspects of that. But what I learned this year too is that Advent has a twofold reason of celebrating. The first one is that we're looking towards Christmas, the, towards the first Advent, waiting for the Messiah to come. But the second, and in our day and age, the more important reason, is that we're waiting for Jesus to come back and rescue his church. And so as we think about Advent and this season, it is, it is this God given, church calendar-given reason for us to be pointing towards, waiting for, reorienting our lives towards the second coming of Jesus. And let me tell you, when you focus your life around the fact that your jobs, the various things that you're dealing with, the temporal things in this world— pale in comparison to what we're actually waiting for, our savior to come and rescue his church. And when he does, we will live in a place where there are no more tears, there's no more suffering, where we experience joy in its completeness. That's what we're waiting towards. And I say that it's a posture because when we take on that posture, it changes the way we live our lives now. So as we think about joy, as we look at this passage, it's this classic story that we've heard for a long time. I know when I was uh, in the Middle East, I was part of a Malayali church. That was fun, but every year we had the kids do a little play And every time the story came up or was ever preached about, the focus was on the shepherds, the focus was on them going to the manger. You know, when I read the story again, uh, my heart, my mind became drawn to the message from the angels. A message that translates to our entire gospel. When the angels appeared uh, to the shepherds, you can sort of put yourselves in their situations. They're working the late night shift, it would seem. And they're just chilling with their sheep. And then all of a sudden, there's this great light, this messenger from heaven coming down on them. And I don't know about you, that would definitely strike some fear shock into my head. And so the first thing the angel says is do not be afraid and i think this is fairly significant because in the midst of fear in the midst of their shock in the midst of what seems to be a very scary time for them this news comes with the caveat of, of do not be afraid the angel says i will bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And so let's break that down. The phrase good news is euangelion in the Greek. It is also where we get our word for evangelism. It can also be translated to the word we use often, the gospel, or in our present, like Christmas vernacular, glad tidings. I'm sure we've heard uh, a lot of these words, but it comes from this Greek word euangelion. So, When we think about the gospel as a serious word in our day and age, like this thing that we carry that holds great significance, right now it's often connected with the Christian message. But back in the day, the word euangelion was not just associated with the church. It was a happy word. So for example, whenever a new king was born, or a war was won, the empire would send out this messenger, this herald, to preach the good news or spread the good news. When this word was used, especially in that time, it was this idea that something significant has happened and it's a positive thing. It's good news. So when we look at the next line, good news that will cause great joy, It's not just any type of joy, but great joy. This news that is coming to you will cause you great joy. The Greek word for great is mega. So this good news is going to cause you mega joy. So as a people, as a generation, imagine waiting for this Messiah to come. Put yourself in their shoes. They're living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Shepherds didn't have a glamorous life. They're often looked down upon. And the angel, God chose this message to go to these people. This entire kingdom, but these people too, the lowest of the low, was receiving Unveilion of mega joy. This gospel, this good news of great joy. It's more than the great joy that we could, any joy that we could fathom. Imagine someone telling someone coming and telling you, the war in Gaza, the war in the Ukraine is done. It's over. It's even greater than that. It's a mega joy. That the brokenness in this entire world, the sin that we suffer from and are shackled by, the Messiah is here. This good news connects to a king and a kingdom. As it says in the passage, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So this U.N. this gospel is connected to today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. So what we can learn from this very quickly is what the U.N. or the gospel is not. The gospel, in this message is not that you go to heaven when you die. The gospel is not that you can be justified by grace by works alone. The gospel is not you can be healthy and wealthy if you obey these laws. No, the gospel is not about you and me. It is about this long-awaited Messiah that people have been waiting for for a long time. And the Messiah came. As I think about the context where I live in, the people that I am meeting constantly The more I talk to people and hear about their joys and their hurts and their happiness and their pain, I can't help but realize what they need is this gospel. Something that is going past all of their desires for happiness, having this job, having this house, having this car, All of these temporal things are only going to disappoint. And it's so sad sometimes to see people striving and struggling to get to that next echelon in life. The gospel, thankfully, is not about you and me. It's this overarching claim one of the only overarching claims that can go across all of humanity, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you have done, the good news is the Messiah has come. And this Messiah can save you from your brokenness and join you in relationship to God. This Messiah is coming to invite you into his kingdom. You know, I am a Tolkien fan, so I like the terminology around kings and kingdoms and what these different kings and kingdoms represented in various folklore and tales that we see. But we live in a world where we don't talk about kings and kingdoms because here in Canada, we are a democracy and we vote in our representatives so when we think about king and kingdom, we think about stories. Back in the day, however, the people who this story or this good news was being told to, they lived and they understood monarchy. They understood the hierarchy that came with it. So there are a few things that we can learn as a biblical theology of the gospel of the kingdom from this story And to start off with a very simple, very simple understanding of what people believed back in the day, what the Jews were waiting for. First century Jews divided human history into two ages this age and the age to come. This age is marked by the rule of Satan, sin, and death. There is an overarching pain and suffering that will go all across. First century Jews were waiting for a Messiah. Or in the Greek, the word is Christ. Both words is associated with a coming king who will usher in the age to come, who will usher in the kingdom of God. So the second aspect of biblical theology that we learn from the story is that the gospel that Jesus is a long, is that The gospel says that Jesus is a long-awaited king and that he has come to usher in this kingdom. So all of these ancient prophecies that were often told about and talked about in the books of Isaiah, uh, in a lot of passages in the Old Testament, Jesus actually fulfills them all. He comes in not in the way they were expecting, because they were expecting a political military leader, Jesus came with much, a much higher goal, was not just to alleviate their Roman oppression. Jesus came to alleviate the oppression of their sin and their brokenness, not just for the Jews, but the entire world. Note in verse 10, it says, good news for all people, all people. The third thing that we learn as part of biblical theology about the kingdom is that at this present moment, the kingdom is now and not yet. The way I like to think about it is like being engaged. You know, I uh, I'm going through some pre-marital counseling for a couple uh, for for a few couples for marriages happening uh, this uh, this summer coming up. It's one of the things I love to do, um, but I start off very discouraging in that, you know, one of the hardest parts of the, that entire journey is being engaged. You have the commitment, you don't have any of the benefits, but it's okay. We'll get there soon. In the same sense, we are in the now and not yet. We are engaged to Christ, and Christ is going to build this room for us. In his father's house. And he will come. He will come to rescue his church. His bride. So what does that mean for us sitting here today? Jesus provides this this portal. This look into this world to come. When we live with him. When we live in unison with him. When we abide in him. When we call him Lord and Savior. When we accept that he has died for our sins. And he is the only way to God. We get to live in this reality that is to come in the future, now. Yes, we look forward to the world to come. We look forward to what Christ is going to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And again, like I said, this adventing, this this posture towards is very important because we're looking forward to something amazing. Like, think about the world we live in right now. Think about what is making headlines on our news feeds, on our social media. Friends, I know it's very hard to fathom this reality, but the more and more I read Scripture, the more and more I see all of these authors inspired by God telling us to focus not on the here and now, but focus on what Jesus has done, what he's going to do. That changes radically how we prioritize our lives in the here and now. This kingdom is in the now. He introduces us to this kingdom. If you read the book of Matthew, you see a lot of allusions to this kingdom of God because that is what the Jews were expecting. And Jesus does usher that in, but he will complete it when he comes back. In a very real sense, this is a quote uh, that I found from Fleming Rutledge on this idea of Advent. In a very real sense, the Christian community lives in Advent all the time. It can well be called the time between, because the people of God live in the time between the first coming of Christ, incognito in a stable in Bethlehem, and the second coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. In the time between, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. Advent contains within itself a crucial balance of the now and not yet that our faith requires. The disappointment, the brokenness, the suffering, and the pain that categorizes life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In that advent tension, the church lives its life. In that Advent tension, the church lives its life. Because we live in this age, we feel sorrow, we feel joy, Not just sorrow or joy, but sorrow and joy we can experience through Christ. You may ask, especially in this time, why am I not experiencing that joy? Well, one it could have, one reason could be that God is allowing you to go through some form of testing. It's been a hard end to the year. We understand about ourselves that we're fragile and vulnerable. We suffer. and In the end, we will die. So if you're not, you know, all joyful and chipper and excited about the season, that's okay. Invite Jesus into that place. Invite Jesus into wherever you are. But this is the thing about joy that I understand from Scripture, is that joy is not just an emotion. In the midst of being afraid, these angels were giving good news of great joy. Unlike happiness, which is just an emotion, joy can exist in the context of pain, chaos, and suffering. And like the video alluded to, you can see this in so many examples of are the apostles who were put in brutal situations but still experiencing the joy of Christ, the joy of being on his kingdom-building mission. So herein lies the key idea. Just like Advent, just as we're posturing to words in an active way, the kingdom of Jesus and what he offers in the here and now and in the life to come. Our relationship to joy isn't just passive, it is also active. Joy isn't just something that we feel, it is also something that we choose. It is a deliberate decision we make to find joy in God. In the New Testament, That idea often translates to rejoice. Rejoice. Henry Nouwen says this about joy. Joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Every day we choose to experience joy in our lives. Every day by abiding in Christ, spending time with him. There are many promises that Jesus gives us in Scripture. One promise that I often come back to over and over again in my darker times is a promise in the Gospel of John. Jesus says that there will be many trials and many tribulations here on this earth. He says, fear not, I have overcome the world. As we go through pain and suffering in the here and now. As we see pain and suffering around the world in the here and now. I think of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Around the world who might be meeting tomorrow or at any point this week to worship Jesus in fear of death. I don't know if you guys had... uh, um, read this anywhere, uh, but in Manipur, uh, in India, over this year, there's been open and blatant persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ to the point where people are dragged out into the streets and beaten almost to the point of death, only to suffer in their recovery. And they experience Jesus's joy. Yes, he is with them. He will never leave them nor forsake them. The moments of uncertainty in your minds, the moments of strife and struggle in your hearts, Jesus is with you. Choose to abide in him. Choose joy. So the question then that can be asked about this is, how do I do that? How do I choose joy? I'd like to read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. So if you want to take your Bibles there, if there was a how-to text on how to experience joy in in the here and now, uh, Paul writes this in Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say Rejoice. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth of praise, think about these things. There are three basic steps to find and be in rejoicing in the here and now. Rejoice is not just an emotion to experience, it's a command. Something we are commanded to do. Martin Luther once said, a Christian joy should be joyful if he is not the devil tempting him again to veer away from it. Again, I say rejoice. Driving home how important it is that one of the ways that we're deceived away from joy Is the devil tempting us away from experiencing that joy in Jesus? So let's break down Paul's tutorial on rejoicing. One, he says, give thanks. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And Paul's way of thinking and how he's instructing the Philippian church, how he's instructing us, is this posture that we take to find rejoicing is to be thankful to God. And this is the exact opposite of what our culture or what we see regularly in our mainstream media, what we see regularly in the church or in the world, rather. If there's something wrong, complain about it. Make a video about it. And again, we are creatures that are so attuned to negativity that it's so easy for us to latch on to that, to be like a magnet attracted to that. But in Paul's practice, what he teaches us here is to give thanks. Constantly give thanks to God for what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, what he will do. You know, I I had a sermon series on prayer with our church uh, a few years ago. Um, And no matter how I cut it, if you ask the question, like, how do I consistently pray? I realize one of the things that commonly comes up even in scripture is that sometimes it looks like a discipline. It looks ritualistic. And the best way I've heard it said to me is that discipline and ritual is like a trellis. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a trellis? Like this wooden structure. You might see it on outdoor patios and stuff like that. A trellis by itself does absolutely nothing. It's just a, it's pieces of wood nailed together. But what it allows for is this leafy growth to grow in and around that structure. In the same way, when we think about ritual, when we think about discipline, we need to understand By itself, it does absolutely nothing. It is not the gospel. It's not the good news. Just because you pray five times a day doesn't mean that you are that much better in the sight of God. But what it allows for is for spiritual growth to happen in and around that discipline. So as I was instructing our church, as I was trying to... um, as I was trying to posture our church towards prayer... It was this idea of discipline will lead to redirection. This changing of our hearts and our minds. The second thing is draw near to God in prayer. Do not be anxious, but in every situation by prayer, present your request to God. So again, in this posture, we're called to be on our knees. And lastly, When we do this, when we're thankful, when we go to God in prayer knowing that he's the only one that can change our situation, provide, we change the way we think. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. When we do these things, what it produces is a changing of our minds, a renewing of our minds as it teaches in Romans 12. That's what happens when we choose to abide and choose joy over other things. Choosing godly, Christ-given joy over other things. And none of these things come naturally. Choosing joy, going to him in prayer, giving thanks, everything about our human psychology points elsewhere. It takes three seconds to ingrain in your mind a negative thought and 14, a positive one. That can be very discouraging, but here's the good news. When we become followers of Jesus, we're embedded with the Holy Spirit. And it's through that strength that we can experience and in faith believe in all of these promises. Bono once said that joy is an act of defiance. To rejoice in a year with global atrocities is an act of defiance. Defiance against the ruler of this world that is Satan into the ruler of the universe that is God, abiding in him. My encouragement to us today is that we choose joy as we advent towards what Christ has done, and what he is going to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for this time. I thank you, God, for your love, your hope, your joy, your peace. All of these things that we're focusing on, all of these things that we are um, encouraged to look at in this season, Lord, your presence here in this world divided human history into two, and what you have done has radically changed, Lord, the way we can approach you. Lord, help us experience your joy and love in the midst of chaos, in the midst of what seems like very hard times, and it looks like foolishness to the world. But I thank you, God, that we can experience it in the here and now, looking forward to a time where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, or where we will be engulfed by your presence. Thank you, God, for the already but not yet moment that we live in. Lord, may we be good stewards of this gift and share it with the people around us. Lord, share this joy. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.